But we're in James today. Um, and last week we saw how James was talking about, at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about how what we do, maybe it's an indication of our faith and the, the health of our faith and the genuineness of our faith. And so while he was talking about what we do last week, this week he's talking about what we say. Um, and I don't know if you've ever considered this. Uh, I was thinking about this week, but the fact that we can communicate with speech is, is actually a sign that we're made in God's image. Um, because God is a God who speaks. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the very start of the Bible, the creation story, and, and how God creates the world as he, and creates the universe as he speaks it into being. God's words have power. And in fact, this, the whole Bible is a record of God speaking to his people, uh, revealing his purposes and his goodness to them. God is a God who speaks. And if you think about the animal kingdom, right, uh, there's loads of different species of animals out there that communicate in all kinds of ways. So when I take my dog for a walk, um, I don't know how he does it, but he's urine because he has to pee on everything. And that's how he communicates. He wants everyone to know he's the least alpha dog in the whole world, by the way. But he wants everyone to know, I've been here, right? You can, I'm communicating. And that's how dogs communicate. Birds, uh, birds have different calls that are used to communicate danger or to attract a mate. Um, but I love watching um, Blue Planet, you know, the Dave Attenborough one. Um, and uh, I was watching one, and it was about uh, killer whales, and they have one of those in the, all of the animal kingdom. They, uh, they have hundreds of different clicks and squeals and different sounds uh, to indicate where the best food is, um, where they want to go, come over this way kind of thing, or uh, even just they, they, they playful chatter. They actually kind of communicate um, just for the sake of it, just for fun. And, and yet, in all of the complexity and diversity and vastness and beauty of creation, human beings are the only ones to whom God has given the gift of speech and language. Because it's only us that are made in the image of God. Speech is this incredible gift. It's a sign of the special favor that God has put on human beings as the pinnacle of his creation. And just like we talk about quite a lot, like, like many of the gifts that God gives us, what do we do? We distort it, and we, we, we make it something that God never intended it to be. We use it never intended. And our, our sinful nature has given us tendencies to use God's gifts for, for evil, not for good. And so when we're young, we whinge and we gurn. I mean, some of us do that, we're old too. Uh, when we get older, we complain, right? We love a good complaint, don't we? When we feel, what do we do? We blame other people. When we win, we boast. These are some of our tendencies as sinful people when it comes to speech. And I need to be honest, I've been dreading this sermon um, all this week as I've been uh, thinking about the lessons in this passage. I've just been feeling more and more like a hypocrite because um, I am not someone who has great control over my speech. I struggle and stumble with this. And I want you to know right from the start that there's no part of what I'm saying today that I'm not preaching to myself. And I think that for most of us, we probably don't think enough about how we say and how we say it. We don't really consider it. Most of us just speak in the moment without thinking too much about it. I can think of so many times when I've offended somebody or hurt somebody um, by what I've said. It's usually, it's usually my wife. <laughs> That's what we do, isn't it? It's the people closest to us that we hurt the most by our words. Um, usually for me, it's the old... Uh, well, it's not what you said, it's the way that you said it, kind of thing. <laughs> um, 
And we need to be saved, James says. And just as what we do is vital as followers of Jesus, so too, James says, is what we say. And here's the lesson he wants us to learn today. It's on the screen. Controlled speech is a sign of spiritual maturity. Controlled speech is a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, there's three things that we're going to see this morning. Um, we're going to see that, that this is a universal problem. We're going to see that how deep this problem is. That's the problem. So let's start with this first one, the universal problem of the tongue. I'm going to uh, just read the verses again as we go through to keep it in our mind. I think they're on the screen as well. This is uh, verses 1 and 2. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Uh, probably the only time as to stick out your tongue at another person is when you go to the doctor, right? I don't know why, but doctors like looking at your tongue. Well, I do know why, but it's weird. They like looking at your tongue. Um, ah, doctor, I've got a sore leg. Okay, stick out your tongue. It's weird. But it turns out, uh, I did a quick Google search, and I know Chad's sitting here, um, and Victoria's here as well, so I'm kind of, I, I hope this is right. Um, but your tongue can reveal a lot about your overall general health. Uh, infections, stress, effects of medication, even marks on the tongue. And that's why, to- that's why doctors look at your tongue, because your tongue describes or reveals a lot about what is going on the inside. And that's exactly the point James is making here. He says, your tongue shows what is going on on the inside. So we we probably need to start with this challenge. What does your tongue say about you? What is what you say and the way you say it? What does, when, when people hear you speak, what do they pick up on about you? Words are important. Speech is important. And, and it's no wonder then that, that James starts with those of us who teach, right? Anyone who teaches in any capacity, James says, will be judged with greater strictness than, than everyone else. And I'm saying that as I stand up here in front of you teaching. And I, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I'm here about the preacher up at the front. He's talking about anyone who teaches, whether it's teaching uh, your missional community in your Bible discussions, or whether it's teaching our kids, or, or, or whether it's just meeting someone uh, for a coffee and, and discipling them, anyone who teaches will be subject to a greater degree of judgment. Someday we'll have to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for our words. And it, it's so important for those who teach because people who teach have, have more people. And so it's not just, as a teacher, it's not just about my sin, but I actually, as a teacher, have the, can very easily lead you all into sin. And so listen, if you're a teacher in our church, and lots of you are, or if you desire to be a teacher, you need to think about this. You need to consider this. Even if, you're, even if it's just teaching your own kids at home, if you have kids, you should be teaching them the ways of God and, and, and teaching them the Bible. Are you willing to, be, to, to give an account of what you teach and, and, and be accountable for those you teach someday? And James, he's not trying to restrict anyone from teaching. We, we know that we, the church needs teachers, but he's saying, be careful. Just be careful. And as much as this is sobering for teachers, I'm so thankful for what James says next. You see, in, in verse 2, James tells us that controlled speech 
It's a problem that everybody has. It's a universal problem. And I love that he says we, because he includes himself in it. And this is Jesus' own brother, one of the apostles, a leader in the church of Jerusalem, the very first church. And he says, we all stumble in many ways. And he says, in fact, if you find somebody that, that doesn't struggle with control in their speech, he's like, they're, they're perfect, you know? They've got it made, that they've reached perfection. And I'm so thankful for this because uh, time with me at all, you'll know that sometimes I just open my mouth and a load of stuff comes out. And it's like, you're what's the office of Michael Scott says, uh, you know, sometimes I just start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going until I get to the end. Uh, sometimes that's like me. Um, and when you speak as much as I do, you're bound to say some foolish things every now and again. This is something that each and every one of us struggle. If you're a, someone who's a quiet person, I don't think you're off the hook. Because I think sometimes you can be quiet <laughs> as a way of not speaking when you should speak. Maybe you should be calling out someone's sin or standing up for injustice and and you don't. Now, we're not perfect, and we will someday, of course, be made perfect. When, when Jesus returns and he brings us into his kingdom, we will be made perfect, including how we talk. And, and then that day, we're going to use our speech, build each other up, and encourage each other, and sing praises to God all day long. And until that time, we keep striving for and aiming perfection. What does Paul tell us? He tells us that our, our, our goal is the upward call of Christ. And so we don't just sit around and say, well, James says nobody's perfect, so what are you going to do? I'll just say whatever I want to say. No. We know that God is making us more and more like Jesus, preparing us to be in his presence. And, and so we push on to tame our tongues. We, we carefully think about uh, the words we use and, and how we, we use them. Because the self-controlled tongue is evidence of a self-controlled life. The person who, is, who has controlled speech, James says, is someone who has control over their hearts and over their actions too. And this is what we aim for. But then James goes on to talk about not just the universal problem of the tongue, the depth of this problem. And it turns out it's a pretty extensive problem. And there's three parts to this. Firstly, there is the, the disproportionate power that the tongue has. The disproportionate power of the tongue. Listen to verses 3 and 4. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever it is. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And the point James is making is um, it's simple. It's a really simple point. The tongue is small but powerful. It's really small, but has big effect. It's like the bit in a horse's mouth. How does, the, how does any rider control a horse? It's, it's through the reins that they make it turn left or right. Or, or, but, you know, you see this on TV, right? I was watching the Olympics. I was watching the Olympics. The, the modern pentathlon. Um, the modern pentathlon was one of my favorite ones where they have to do fencing and swimming and horse riding and running and shooting, right? And these riders, they have, to, they, they have to complete this course, go over all the jumps in the fastest time, in the best form, on a horse that they've never ridden before. So they get 20 minutes with the horse, and then they have to go do the course. Now, how do they do Because in that horse's mouth is a bit, and connected to that bit is the reins. 
These massive, powerful, majestic animals that could just throw them off if they wanted to, or, or could just go in any direction, could even harm them or kill them if they wanted to, have bits in their mouths, and the rider can use that to control them. If you control the mouth of the horse, James says, you control the whole animal. It's like our tongues, small but powerful. But, right, even the, the biggest ships have rudders that are tiny in comparison to the whole ship. Now, think about it. Without a rudder, what could a captain of a huge cargo ship do to change its direction? Uh, on my stag, uh, we, uh, it wasn't a big ship, but we sailed uh, from Bally Castle over to the island of Isla. And uh, anyway, there was a problem with the boat and uh, the, the propeller, was, the engine wasn't working or something like that. And you can tell. And uh, we were going into the, towards the, the, the quayside and we had no way of slowing down the boat. And one of my friends... He jumped out of the boat and tried to stop, <laughs> stop the boat, uh, stop the boat with his like bare hands, uh, like he was going to be able to stop this boat. And in the end, he had to jump out of the way, and we crashed into the, the jetty. And it was very funny, and we caused some damage, and announced our arrival in style. But what could, what, if if he can't stop a tiny sailboat, what what could a big cargo ship? But with the rudder, this tiny thing compared to the size of the boat. He can make it go in any direction he wants. Our tongues are small but powerful. And it's this disproportionate power that's part of the problem. Think about our speech. Our tongues are, are small. But think of the power and influence they can have. Speech has the power to encourage and build up, to comfort the brokenhearted. It can assure someone of our deep love and affection for them. It has the power to inspire through songs and poetry and literature. Speech is what we use to join two people in an unbreakable bond of marriage. Speech even has the power to change the course of history. Speech can end slavery. It can inspire nations. Speech can praise God. It's this incredible gift. But it also has the power to end marriages and break families apart. Speech is the power to tear someone down, tear them to pieces. You ever heard that phrase? He tore him to shreds. Tongue. Speech can deceive and distort the truth. Speech has the power to start wars. Speech can abuse and manipulate. And if you don't believe me, just consider these two. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King moved a nation with words. Hitler, by contrast, killed millions with the power of his words. And, and the point is that we can't underestimate the power of our tongues. We need to be careful about what we say. And I don't think that we really consider the power that our speech has, this, this wee tiny muscle in our, in our mouths and our throats. If we did consider this, wouldn't we be more careful about what we say? And the second part of the depth of this problem of our tongues is the destruction the tongue can cause. It's so powerful, it can do unlimited damage. James goes on in um, verse 5 to say, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Like he's really strong in this. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I'm sure you've seen in the pictures on the news of the forest fires going on in Greece this week. Um, scenes of absolute terror 
and devastation. People running down to the beach because the island's on fire. But a fire didn't start like that. Even a raging forest fire didn't start as a huge, all-consuming blaze, did it? No matter what caused those they started with a tiny spark. One tiny spark that quickly grows and spreads and brings total destruction and devastation. James says, this is what your words can do. Next time you see the pictures of those huge forest fires, consider this. Your tongue, your speech has the same destructive potential. Maybe if we considered this more, we would be more careful. And notice what he says in verse 6. He says, The tongue is set among our members, staining, it, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Like he's really not holding back here. Hell. This word is Gehenna, right? Gehenna was the place where all the rubbish of the city was taken outside the city and burned. It was a, it was a, have you ever seen the Simpsons and they have the, fire, the tire fire that never goes out? That's Gehenna. It's a place where all the rubbish is burned outside the fire. Burning, stinking place that never ends. It's never extinguished. It burns constantly, day and night. And this is a really sobering thought. James says, you have the power to unleash hell on someone's life through what you say. Our words can bring hell into people's lives. Lying, being harsh. Being harsh is a, that's a, that's a big one for me, I have to be honest. Slander. Past probably aren't true. Gossip. Gossip spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? I don't think we consider this strongly enough. There are a few sins that have the power to destroy a church as much as gossip does. Nothing sows disunity and division like lying and slandering and gossip. That's what will bring division to our church is gossip. And it spreads through the church and burns it to the ground. How many relations and churches and friendships have been destroyed through gossip? James also warns that the tongue it can stain. And the thing about stains is it only takes one small stain to ruin the whole garment. Like if I had spilled coffee, I was really careful when I was pouring a communion wine this morning because I was like, if I get one drip on this, like, you know, well, well, I might have to button up my shirt, but that's the point. You have to cover it up or it's one tiny stain ruins the whole thing. Like imagine if you go to a hotel and you get, pull back the covers on the sheet. Like even a wee stain, you're not going to be too confident about getting into that bed. You know what I mean? One tiny stain enough to ruin it for you. And all it takes is one word to ruin a relationship. One sentence without thought to tear someone down, to discourage them. And this is the opposite of what God intends for us. He's given us gifts so that we can praise Him, so that we can honor Him, so that we can build each other up. How often do we use our words to discourage and not encourage? And we, and we know this, don't we? We've all, we've all experienced this in some form or other. You've been hurt by someone by what they've said. And most likely, you've hurt someone by what you've said. Words have the power to be so destructive. And it's because of this destructive effect that our words can have that we need to pay attention to this teaching. Jesus spoke to you in Matthew chapter 12, and he said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every, that word is idle, <laughs> pointless, useless. Every word without thought they speak. 
And if that's shocking to you, it should be. Because of the destructive, destructive power of our words, God will judge us for how we misuse our speak careless word, Jesus says. And in our generation, in the time that we live in, it's not just our spoken words, is it? Right? We, we, through social media and so on, we have the, the ability to communicate with, with more people more often and in more ways than at any point humans have ever had in history. And you don't have to spend long uh, just scrolling through your Twitter feed or reading comments on TikTok or any of those things to, to see that there are careless words out there. We are the generation that has produced more careless words than any other in history. Uh, Tony Morita, who is a teacher that I greatly respect and a friend, he says, James says that no one can tame the tongue, but we could add to that that no one can tame their thumbs. <laughs> and I thought that was very clever. You see, we, 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 need to be, we need to be careful. We need to tame our digital tongue as well. And so I wonder, what do your social media posts communicate online? We all have an online presence, even if it's small. And so we all need to consider this. Are our posts and comments um, made of idle and careless words? Are we using our words even to be destructive? Wherever we put our words and speech out into the world, we need to consider this. This deep problem. But the third part of the, this deep problem is the duality of the tongue. Listen to verses 9 and 10. Um, he says, From the same, uh, sorry, with it, verse 9, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, Come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. We've already seen how speech is this incredible gift, given only to human beings in all of creation. And it's with this gift that we are capable of the highest form of speech, blessing our Lord and Father. In other words, saying things using this gift that only bring glory and honor to God. Now, this is, this is not only uh, just praising God directly, although that's obviously a huge part of it, but it's, it's also uh, speaking in ways to honor God, being truthful, being gentle, being loving, being encouraging, using your words to stand up against injustice, speaking truth where truth needs to be spoken. Years and years ago, I heard uh, a preacher. I, I don't even know who it was. I remember the church I was in, but I don't know who it was. And uh, we were visiting this church as a family. And so I, I think I was like maybe 14 or 15. And, but he said, he said that, uh, he was speaking on this passage actually, and he said that before we ask these questions, is it true, is it kind, and is it necessary? Is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? Now imagine that's how we measured our speech. And if the answer is yes to those three questions, then this is the kind of speech that will bless our Lord and Father. True, kind, necessary. But just as we're capable of the highest form, we're also capable of the lowest form of human speech. What does James say? Cursing people who are made in the likeness of God. You see what James is saying here? He's saying that, that, that there is a duality. That, that not only do we use the same gift to do two completely contradictory things, bless and curse, 
We also use our tongues to bless and curse the same thing. All people are, every single person, no matter who they are or what they've done, is worthy of love and dignity and respect because they are made in the likeness of God. They bear the image of the living God. And and so easy for us to to stand in our gathering and sing blessing and praise to our Father that we've just done a few minutes ago, and yet think nothing of saying something terrible and horrible about someone else, the very image of the one we praise. And we need to grasp this, church. When we denigrate a person, we dishonor God. When we gossip about a person, we grieve God. When we throw dirt at a person with our speech, we're throwing dirt on the image of God. And James says, these things ought not to be so. It shouldn't be this way, he's saying. And yet we all do it, don't we? Both these things in the same hour, or even in the same minute if you're anything like me. Like when you're driving, I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to curse the image of God when I'm driving, right? And, and we'd all laugh because it's funny, but it's not. And Healy will testify to the, my ability to curse people when I'm driving. I could be driving along the road, singing praise to God, you know, blasting the, wor- the worship music, singing praise to God, and then one person cuts you off, and the very you damn them to hell. Why? Because in those moments, we fail to consider that that other driver is made in the image of the living God. What about when we're watching TV? Oh, it's so easy to be judgmental and critical and mean-spirited when we're watching TV. Just saying mean things about people that we don't even know. We don't know their background. Because we forget that the person on the screen is the image of the living God. How about even in our own church family? We can see someone at our gathering. We can be lovely to their face. Oh, it's so good to see you. How are things doing? And then the next day, maybe you're chatting to someone and out comes what you really think about them. We do this to each other. Even in our church family, it's totally possible to not consider each other as bearing the image of the living God. Brothers and sisters, James says, these things ought not to be so. And maybe you're thinking... Well, Flip, this is a, a pretty bleak picture you're painting this morning. Well, it's, it's God's word. It's not me. <laughs> um, you're saying all this negative stuff, and then you're about to go and leave us for six weeks. And it's one thing to say this shouldn't be this way, but, but what can we do? You know, I, maybe you recognize some of the stuff I've said in yourself. Well, the, it doesn't have to be this way. It ought not to be so, and it doesn't have to be so. Yes, it's a universal problem, and yes, it's a deep problem, but there is a solution to the problem. Listen to these last two verses that James writes in our passage, verses 11 and 12. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying here, really simply again, he's saying, What comes out? is what's in the inside. What comes out is what's inside. So a, a fresh water spring can't produce salt water. It can only produce fresh water. A fig tree can only produce figs. A grapevine can only produce grapes. If I lift up the, the carton of milk and pour it over my cereal, what comes out? Milk. Why? Because there's milk inside the carton. What comes out 
is what's on the inside. So it is with our tongues. What you say doesn't come from somewhere else, right? It comes from you. It comes from inside you. There's a consistency to trees. Fig trees produce figs. Oak trees produce acorns. Grapevines produce grapes. Produce milk. What is inside of me is what comes out. Now, I, I, I can just remember, or I can just imagine James thinking and remembering his big brother Jesus teaching on this. And, and, and James was there when Jesus was teaching on this because James uses the very same imagery of a tree bearing fruit to talk about speech. Actually, you know, speech is one of the things we most on, which is interesting, I think. And, and this is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Um, it's on the screen. He says, the tree is known by its fruit. So, see apples hanging on a tree, it's an apple tree, right? See pears on a tree, it's a pear tree. That's what Jesus is saying. Then he says, you brood of vipers, which is pretty harsh from Jesus. He says, how can you speak good when you're evil? If you're evil, how can you expect to speak any good? What's on the inside is what comes out. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on the inside is what comes out. Jesus is saying, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Just as, as how you spend your money, how you spend your time, uh, what you do reveals so much about what is in your heart. I think there's probably nothing more reveals what's in your heart than, than how you speak, your unguarded speech. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What, how do you speak when you think no one is listening or you don't care um, if, if anyone can hear you? Of course we can all pretend. Of course we can all, um, you know, uh, talk nicely. You know, you don't say any bad words. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so what do you say when no one's around? Are you consistent in how you talk in front of some people and, and others? Do you speak differently at work or with some groups of friends than others? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so this means that the problem of the tongue is actually a problem of the heart. You see, the wee bit that goes in the, I mean, experience equestrian that I am, the wee bit that goes in the horse's mouth, it's not the bit that controls the horse, it's the rider. The bit is under the rider's control. It's not the rudder that controls the ship, it's the pilot. The pilot controls the rudder. And the bit and the rudder represent our hearts in these uh, analogies. Our tongues don't have a mind of their own. Like you just open your tongue says stuff that's not even in there. Although sometimes you listen to people, you might think that was the case. But it's the rider that has control over the bit in the horse's mouth. It's the pilot that has control over the rudder of the ship. And it's our hearts that has control over our tongues. And that's the truly scary bit when I think about my own speech. And so if we want to tame our tongues, we must tame our hearts. If the problem of the tongue is, act, and if the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, as Jesus says, then we need to ask ourselves, what is my heart full of? 
What's my heart full of? And if what comes out is what's on the inside, then we need to ask ourselves, what are you putting in? What kinds of things are you filling yourself up with? If I fill, if I fill juice, guess what comes out when I tip it over? Orange juice. And if we only fill ourselves up with gossip and negativity from our social media timelines, then guess what? That's what's going to come out. But likewise, if we fill ourselves up with the, with the truth of God's word, that's what's going to come out. If we consider the things that are pure and excellent and praise, these are the things that are going to come out. The problem of the tongue is a problem of the heart, and so the change we need is an internal one, not an external one. The change we need is a change in our hearts that, that will then lead to a change in our speech. Now here's the thing, and I love this, because you might... You can, you can kind of overlook this. James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being. But God can. Uh, just like every part of our salvation and our sanctification, we need what only God can provide. <laughs> only God can provide the change that we need. Listen, we can try and try and try like we do so often, but that only usually leads to feeling feeling guilty. We need the healing of our hearts that only God can provide. And, and this is what God did for the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if you've read uh, this story before or this, this part of Isaiah before, but let me take you back for a second to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was given the job by God of, of speaking for God, of bringing God to the people. And in verse 6, before he really starts doing that job, he has this experience. This is um, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting on a th upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are heavenly creatures. Six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah's job was to speak on behalf of God to the people. And when he comes face to face with this vision of the, the glory of God, throne, uh, with these heavenly beings crying, holy, 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 he realizes that his speech is unclean, that he is unclean. He realizes the problem of his own tongue, and he is broken. He says, I am lost. 
Actually, the word there is, it's literally saying, I am coming undone, like I am unraveling like, a, like someone pulling the thread of a sweater. If you get that Weezer reference, good on you. Lost, I'm coming undone. Lord, how can I speak for you when I am so unclean? And God, what does God do? God, God doesn't say, you know what, Isaiah, you're right. Second thoughts, you are filthy, you're useless to me, you can't speak for me. Go on, I'll find someone else. <laughs> That's not what God does. God cleanses him. The seraphim uses one of the burning coals from the altar and, and, and touches his mouth with it, cauterizes it. And then, Isaiah, your, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is paid for. And it's from this moment on that Isaiah, then in the very next part of that uh, passage, he says, God, I will go and I will speak for you. Now, do you see what's going on here? The altar is the place where the sacrifice for sins were carried out. And it's that sacrifice that is used to cleanse him. In other words, Isaiah is at the place of sacrifice. And this is the kind of cleansing that we need. It's the sacrifice of Jesus applied to us that cleanses us. It's the gospel applied to us that provides the kind of change that we need. And this is what God in his goodness does for us. He doesn't say, you know what, you've read, you've read James 3, you're right, you are unclean, you can't control your tongue, I'm done with you. He doesn't say that. In his grace, God doesn't just give her to cleanse our lips, but he gives us the sacrifice of his son to cleanse our hearts. You see how good God is to us. Even me, feeling guilty all this week about how I speak. How good he is. And, and you might be thinking, like I've been all week, I'm undone. I resonate with Isaiah so much there. I am undone. I have unclean lips. How can I ever change? Maybe you feel like that. Well, here's the good news for us this morning. There is not one part of you that needs to change that the gospel cannot change. There's not one part of you that needs to change that the gospel cannot change. You see, Jesus never sinned with his lips, but he died for those of us who have. And, 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 and Jesus never cursed God in a way that we do, but he took the curse of God on himself for our sake. And so listen, heart change. Receive the gospel this morning. Maybe for the first time, and maybe for the thousandth time. Just realize that the cleansing and heart change you need is, is found only in the sacrifice that Jesus made of himself for you. And maybe even if up to this point in your life you've only ever used the gift of speech to curse and not to bless, there is grace for you. Maybe this has hit you in a way that it has me, that you, has made you think about how you speak and realize that I, I do have unclean lips. There is grace for you in Jesus. Heart change and healing and cleansing are available for you, to you, in Jesus. All, all we have to do is receive it. And then, what do we do? Then, then let's go out of here striving to bless the Lord and never curse people who are made in his image. Saturate our minds and our hearts with the word of God because when we saturate our hearts and our minds with the word of God, we're pouring into ourselves this good news that the forgiveness we receive in Jesus covers every part of our lives, even our speech. 
when we saturate ourselves in, in, in the Bible, uh, what we're doing is we're pouring into ourselves this amazing truth that the Holy Spirit has made his home in us and that he is working a miracle in our hearts to change us and make us more like Christ. When we fill ourselves up with God's words, we'll find that it's his words that easily come out. This is God's grace to us. Do you, do you see how good God is? <laughs> Jesus never sinned with his lips, but he died for those of us who do. And, and there is not one part of you that needs to change that the gospel cannot change. Let's pray.